I really liked um, watching La La Land, but can you even sing any of the songs from that right now? Yeah, there's like the... That's nothing. Uh, You're literally... That could be anything. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster from the sunny beaches of San Diego. That's right. And you are Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Mm -hmm. From the burning hills of the uh, temperate desert. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty hot. No, we're not doing this. We're not talking about the fucking (laughs) weather right now. (laughs) Okay. It's hot. It's summer. It's hot. It's summer. We're doing it. We love the fires. It's our favorite thing. I have two topics that I wanted to bring up at the top here. I forgot that I had actually put in my notes that I might want to ask you about the watermelon mustard challenge, but I kind of feel that's like a few weeks old in internet world. Yeah. I also didn't do it. You're not going to? No, that sounds gross. If we did it on any, if we did it on video as like promotional content, would you do it? I mean, sure. Okay, we'll keep that in the back of our in our back pocket then. But I, I, it's already like we're so far past that in <laughs> internet time that it's like dumb. It'd be like doing the ice bucket challenge. Like there's we no could do point. that. The ALS ice bucket challenge. What? <laughs> we can start just promoting do, like, uh, old challenges. Yeah, we can start promoting Coney twenty twelve on <laughs> on the podcast. Um, The other thing I was going to ask you, and this kind of came up last week, I'm noticing all my, you know, all the bands and and, uh, the musicians and stuff that I follow, uh, not all of them, but some of them have started posting tour dates now, that that's an actual thing that can happen, theoretically. Uh, A lot of these dates are not, like, set up until the end of summer, early September, or something like that. I've been to uh, a few, ba- a couple baseball games at the Padres, mm. and they have they have taken all the restrictions down. Right, like ain't no way. Uh, con- well, I don't know. I, I guess concerts in a smaller space, right. but like there are the last game I went to, there were so many fucking people. I was like, bring back the fucking social distancing <laughs> and the. 25% capacity, because I was loving it. I mm. could walk around. I had elbow room. Uh, I wasn't bumping into people all the time. Once the governor lifted all the restrictions, because we we now have, like, the lowest number of new cases or some, something. Yeah, California I, I is killing it with the vaccine. It's Yeah. Uh, and so once all of those restrictions were lifted, mm-hmm. people just went nuts. Well, now sure. it's like, we're going to do everything yeah. forever. And I... Don't like that as it's much. It's just bacchanalian bareback parties everywhere you go. Kind of. It is It is less... I feel like there are way more people out than there were pre-COVID. Well, yeah, I, I suspected that would happen, especially with it being summer and everything. But anyway, the, what I, the reason I brought all this up is people are doing live events. Have you yes. considered doing live comedy again? Whether it be stand-up or, or with... Uh, you know, something in the improv world. Okay, here's the thing. 
I probably could have gotten away with never quitting doing live comedy because mm-hmm. I don't think there were ever like more than seven people <laughs> at any of my shows. Um, you were doing socially very... distanced shows before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, um, I'm just joking. I did some some very successful shows that were, you know, every once in a while I would have a full house. But I, here's the thing. I don't know. I don't. And it's not even a pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, I guess it is kind of, I, I just don't know if I want to do that, like, especially stand-up, I don't know if I want to do stand-up anymore, I'll, I'll probably do improv again. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be easier to jump back into, because you don't have to write or prepare anything. Oh, okay. I'm not, I mean... I'm not saying that <laughs> in a disparaging way against the art of improv comedy, I'm, I just meant you know, there's less preparation that goes into that other than getting a team together and rehearsing a little bit and kind of getting a feel for each other before you you get on stage. But you got to grease the wheels. I I mean, in some cases, getting a group together is more challenging than writing a set. Here's the thing, though. I think right now, for you especially, is the time to get back in because people are hungry. Like you said, yeah, people are I've, everywhere I've heard, doing everything. They'll go to the most mediocre shit ever just because it's something to fucking do. It's true. I've also heard from other comedians and stuff that audiences are real hot right now. Yeah, and they're probably um, laughing at like the worst dad jokes or like racist Tucker Carlson humor. He here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I don't know. After I mean, after the pandemic, I kind of got like writer's block. Sure, uh, and. I was never like super happy with my set. Mm-hmm. Um, not not unhappy with it, but I always felt like you know, I I always had like felt like I had a pretty good opener, um, pretty good closer, and then you know some experimental stuff in the middle, um, which you know that's that's kind of how you do it. Uh, right. But I don't know. I never felt like 100% on, on even that stuff necessarily. Mm. So, and I feel like it's kind of disingenuous to go into the world with like old material. Cause it's a new world. So I feel like I, I should have new material mm-hmm. and I just kind of don't. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm less worried about the audiences. Um, right. Well, I'm not saying you have to emerge fully formed, but you could, you know, start dipping your toes in the water again. I just recently found out that there is a comedy store in La Jolla. Uh-huh. I didn't yeah. know that. I've been there. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I've, yeah, I've seen a few shows there. I saw uh, Moshe Kasher and Natarla, Nat- his wife, Natasha Legero. Yes. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife saw them doing their. Uh, honeymoon tour there and mm. it was it was a really cool show i bet it was um yeah no it's a pretty cool spot they, they tend to i mean it's not like the hollywood comedy store where there's like celebrities popping in no yeah and that's why i thought maybe the barrier event to entry is a little different like yeah, as far yeah. as open mic and that kind of stuff i mean i I've, I've been watching never... a lot of like comedy podcasts lately on youtube so now I'm, that's like very in my head right now Um, that's how I found out about the La Jolla thing. But, uh, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. And this is more just me encouraging you rather than (laughs) asking you. So I think, Uh, I I mean, within the the next few months, if this Delta variant thing doesn't like, you know, happen, then, uh, you should, uh, you should consider putting stuff together. 
yes, I'm already I've already talked to one of the improv theaters that's trying to kind of rebuild that I was working with a lot. So, you know, I'll I'll probably do something by the you know before the year's out in, in it at this point it's less of a COVID thing and more of a uh i just want to make sure that i'm putting on the best show i can okay uh this episode we are talking about in the heights uh which is now streaming on hbl max it's also in theaters and at the end of the podcast for our streaming homework we're going to be talking about the 1984 cult film streets of fire uh, and we also have a survey by our listeners. They posted mm-hmm. on our social media, and I'm I actually have to turn to all three of our social media to to get all of our answers here. So okay. bear with me a little bit. Um, right. Good response. Then I'm going to start with our responses from Twitter. So because the episode, not on purpose, but it did happen because the episode is featuring two musicals. I asked one and a half musicals, two musicals. I'm, I asked our audience, what is your favorite non Disney animated movie musical from any decade? And from uh, Ashley, she put funny girl or Moulin Rouge. Okay. Uh, I feel like that's going to be a really popular one. A lot of people love Moulin Rouge. It is. I think it's, it's the, uh, it's the audience favorite. Uh, Todd, Todd Flatland says, super cliche, but the first time I saw Rent is one of the better theater experiences I've ever had. I asked, oh, okay. movie theater or stage show? He says, movie. Um, yeah, so were you, you, I mean, this is a movie podcast. You were specifically yes. wanting movie musicals, that's, correct? Yes, that's what I put in the question. Movie musical okay. from any decade. But he said theater, so I just wanted to differentiate. Uh, but he also said, uh, Sound of Music was the first music musical I'd ever saw in film and loved it. And Seven Brides for Seven Brothers holds a tender, if not misogynistic, place in my heart. <laughs> Both remind me of my mom. Oh, okay. That's sweet. Uh, Terry says, I honestly haven't seen many musicals, but I'd probably have to go with Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. That's an early Alan Menken uh, musical prior to his Disney work. Really fun. Uh, uh, Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. Steve Martin. Moranis um, comes up later in the episode. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a remake of an old um, Corman B movie. Somebody who follows us on Twitter named Classic Movie Gay says, tries to choose between Chicago, Dreamgirls, La La Land, Mamma Mia, or West Side Story dies oh yeah wow yeah uh oh i can see i could i could feel their heart being torn apart <laughs> by this question <laughs> yeah obviously much more well versed into the world of movie musicals I, I think i've seen all of those actually yeah what can can you read that again what were they all chicago dream okay, girls so, la la oh, land okay mama mia and west side story okay i have not seen dream girls or mama mia uh, Mamma Mia is horrific. Sorry, classic movie gay. But I, <laughs> and I love I, I love ABBA. I like listen to ABBA for pleasure. I feel like you might be in the minority on this one. Mm, it you saw uh, Les Mis the movie 
with me. Yes, yeah. Remember Russell Crowe's caterwauling in that movie? Uh, yeah, he was really Okay, bad. imagine that, but ten times worse for Pierce Brosnan. Oh, yes, I have heard about uh, Pierce Brosnan's yes. range. <laughs> and in general, I just don't think they create a very compelling story with the ABBA songs, but whatever. Um, okay, uh, Rachel also says Moulin Rouge, hands down. So that's our Twitter responses. Let me move over to Facebook. Yeah, I think uh, Moulin Rouge, especially for our generation, yeah. like I think that just hit kind of the right time for a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of us to be in high school when that came out. So Right, and it was also a, a jukebox musical, so it's giving yeah. people music that they're already familiar with, it's, and it's very but stylized. Like putting a spin on it, yeah. yeah. Baz Luhrmann, Glitter, all of that. Um, okay, so under Facebook, uh, Kristen says Newsies. That's a okay. That's a bit. That's an oldie but goodie. Here's a uh, young Christian Bale in a here's a painter's list, uh, cap. I'll say that one's on my list of shame. I don't think I've ever seen Newsies. It was on the Disney Channel all of the time when I was a kid. Yeah, I don't. Think I don't I think I saw it voluntarily. I think it was just always fucking on. It was like that mm. and like before Disney Channel was the Disney Channel we know of it today. It was like Newsies and um, Anne of Avonlea was on. Oh, yeah, that was for on a lot. And <laughs> I, like I could not have given less of a shit. Yeah. Um, Hillary Stevens says Rocky Horror, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's a good one. Yes, it is. Uh, that would probably be on my list. Um, Brandon Hall says South Park. I'm guessing the the movie South Park. Yeah. Bigger, longer, uncut. Michael says Cannibal the Musical. That's oh, a deep cut. That's a deep cut, yeah. but a personal favorite of mine. Also, I, I mean, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, their first I film. Think, yeah, I think uh, it's very easy to forget that they are very uh, they're very good musicians. I mean, they yeah. They, they did all the music for Book of Mormon, too, right? I think the majority of their films have been musicals. Team America's yeah. a musical. Um, Is it? Yes. Oh, I guess. Totally. I remember the Team America, fuck yeah, but I... I There's the the uh, the one with Kim Jong-un, the ballad. Or Kim Jong-il, Oh, rather. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Ronry. Yeah. Which, that probably... Doesn't age paid, the best, well. but, you know, funny <laughs> for the time. Um, so that's a musical, uh, Orgasmo, they're, the film is a musical. Oh, damn. Yeah, okay. I mean, they pretty much exclusively write musicals. Basketball is not a musical. No, it wasn't. But they also didn't write that. And then moving over to our Instagram. Um, well, from Instagram, Rod said Moulin Rouge as well. That I remember. So, okay. like I said, that kind of like took the, uh, took the survey. That was definitely the winner. For all the My wife is also a big, big fan of Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I should probably watch it again. I, when I saw it, I wasn't that into it, but I also like kind of watched it at a party and We're half paying I, I was, attention, you know, like yeah. kind of only half paying attention. So I, I, it's probably worth rewatching. I saw it kind of later in life. Like, I mean, I was young relatively, but I saw it in my like mid 20s or early 20s. So it had already been around, you know, a good five, six, maybe even 10 years at that point. And I sort of uh, initially I avoided it because 
my like rock snob didn't want to hear them musicalize all of these songs that I liked. I think I saw like the trailer where the can can dancers were doing smells like teen spirit. And I was just like, Nope. Yeah. You were <laughs> such a pretentious little punk rocker. I mean, I still am, but you know, um, <laughs> and then later I saw it more as like a, Oh, I'm like watching the other films from Baz Luhrmann kind of thing. And I like it. It's not my favorite thing that he's ever done. I get, it is definitely the most him unleashed. <laughs> like that is just like, you know, him with dials turned all the way up. Yeah. Um, and it was the musical for the moment, like we've said. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm actually surprised a friend of the show, Ashley didn't put Phantom of the Opera, the, uh, you know, the Gerard Butler one, because she had told me multiple times that she used to watch that like every day after school during high school. <laughs> like that was like her, like how you were with the crow when we were in high school. That's yeah. how she was with Phantom of the Opera. High school was weird for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Um, so I guess I'm turning the question back to back to us. What is you, what are some of your favorite movie musicals? Um, uh, yeah, some people mentioned a, a couple. Rocky Horror, I think that one's always fun mm -hmm. around Halloween. Uh -huh. Um, obviously. Uh, um, I'll, I love a lot of those Trey Parker, Matt Stone ones, although I haven't seen most of them in a while. So, again, I don't know how well, uh, some of them have aged. Um, I also, I really liked La La Land. You can go back and, uh, listen to our review on that one. That one's archived. I really liked um, watching La La Land, but can you even sing any of the songs from that right now? Yeah, there's like the... That's nothing. Uh, You're literally, that could be anything. That was like the opening, <laughs> like, dancing on the LA freeway one. Okay. Um, there's the, like... City of Dreams, like okay, there, there's some, okay, there's okay. some bangers. I don't remember um, a single song from that movie, but go ahead. I really liked uh, a couple of more modern ones. The new Star is Born is really good. Mm -hmm. I really liked the way they did Rocket Man as like a full on production musical mm -hmm. versus just. A biography with songs. Um, I liked it. You know, there were staged, choreographed, musical sequences. Yeah, um, they kind of like break the fourth wall a little bit and and sort of have fun. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you count the Hamilton stage show that Disney released. Um, I mean, no, not really. But I, it's it's not really a movie. It's 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 a filmed stage show. Yeah, yeah. but it. Uh, it is pretty good. Um, I mean, I Hamilton's great. Uh, I don't care what the snarks say about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of anything like kind of less obvious. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of musicals I hate too. <laughs> um, well, you were you actually like majored in theater, so you're yes. probably exposed to way more musicals than I was. Yeah, and sometimes it is hard to remember like that certain ones are movies and like that's sort of the definitive version for people. Well, a lot of um, the musicals that came out, especially in the golden age of Hollywood, like in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, especially the 50s and 60s, were based on stage musicals. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 30s, less so. Like the, some of the like Busby Berkeley stuff and like 
like the like Wizard of Oz, for instance. It's, nobody really thinks about it being a musical, but it is. And yeah, I mean, yeah. was there a stage production of Wizard of Oz that had that music in it? That's actually something I'm not 100% sure on. I mean, there um, probably was that. I don't know. Because there was a silent film version of Wizard of Oz before there was the one that everyone knows in 39. But There's also like the whole weird trend of taking movies and adapting them to stage musicals. So like, Right. That's, it's reversing now. Yeah. yeah, so what is a musical? Like, that does get kind of murky to me. Like, mm-hmm. I really have to think about it. I'm going to say one of my favorite. I, I, there's a lot of musicals that I like, that like from the like 70s and 80s. Some of this, like, you know, cult musicals or campy musicals or whatever. Um, sure. Rock and roll musicals. One of my favorite movies of all time, let alone musicals, is uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, uh, that's the Bri- a fun one. Brian De Palma film. Um, music by Paul Williams, who a lot of people know from The Muppets. He did the music. The Muppets! The, the fucking Muppet movie! <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, most Muppet movies are musicals, too. Like, the, the new one had some really good music. Uh, good song. Newish. Yeah. The one that's fucking 20 years old now um, with Jason Siegel. <laughs> Not that uh, old, but yes, a little old. Um, that one had some really good music in it. Um, yeah, it did. I, and that that yeah. one is that one is good as well. I thought you were talking about the original Muppets movie, the the Paul Williams did. I, I was, and then I kind of my brain disassociated for a second, and then I just like <laughs> all the Muppet movies became one Muppet movie, and right. then I remembered that fun uh, man or a Muppet song with Jim Parsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Muppets always going to be. They're actually. Uh, I'm very excited. They're doing a. Muppet Haunted Mansion musical uh, uh, for Disney Plus this Halloween. Okay. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, that could be fun. Um, so, yeah, Phantom of the Paradise is a lot of fun. Um, of course, I like Rocky Horror as well, which is very kind of in the same world. I always tell people who are way into Rocky to watch Phantom of the Paradise because it was kind of like Phantom before Phantom. Or, yeah. Or rather like Rocky before Rocky. Um, never seen the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment, though. Oh, I didn't know that existed. Most people don't. Um, yeah. Let's see. I mean, I have a soft spot for stupid stuff like Grease. You know, I saw yeah, that at Grease. a young age. and I saw that uh, for the first time, not last year. It might have been last year. Like, very recently. And, it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's got some really great music. Um, yeah. Uh, although... My problem with that movie is that I don't think any of the other songs live up to the title track by the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a uh, Oh Sandy is a good song. Grease Lightning there's is good a good songs. song. I just that that song in particular has uh, Judy School uh, Dropout is a good song. It, it is great songs. <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't. Hey, this is editing Cassidy here, and I would be remiss. To not mention that uh, one of my favorite musicals is Cabaret, the uh, 70s film with Liza Minnelli, uh, directed by Bob Fosse. Don't know why that slipped my mind in the middle of this conversation, but that is an exceptional musical. Uh, And I think fans of both Chicago and Moulin Rouge, and especially the more filtered, light, colorful musicals that came out in the early 2000s, should go back and watch that one, because I think it laid a lot of the groundwork, you know, Fosse style, laid a lot of the groundwork for 
the modern movie musical the way we think of it today. Great 70s film, great musical. Um, so those are some of the ones that come to my mind. But uh, thank you for everybody for participating in that. And we'll jump right from that discussion into our review of In the Heights. And Keith, I will let you describe what is happening in that movie. So In the Heights is, it's about a neighborhood in New York. And so Usnavi is uh, recounting his childhood in the Dominican Republic with this group of kids. Mm -hmm. And he's telling them about his life in America, in uh, growing up in the Heights. Washington Heights, Heights, yeah. Um, And particularly a period of time when he was... This neighborhood was going through some some transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's planning on moving back to the Dominican Republic. His friends were getting priced out of their um, like beauty salons and just their neighborhood in general. Gentrification is happening, yeah. and they're getting kind of pushed out. This is just kind of about uh, the the sort of last summer that they're all together in the Heights. There's Usnavi, played by Anthony Ramos, and his friend Benny, who is in love with Nina, who is just coming back from her first year in college in Stanford. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Usnavi is in love with Vanessa and doesn't quite know how to approach her about it and, and make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's trying to get a kind of move up in her station yeah, of life, to going, working from a nail salon and trying to get into the world of fashion and, and uh, find a better apartment and that kind of stuff. Yeah. There is Abuela Claudia, who is sort of everybody in the neighborhood's abuela. Mm, she's sort of the um, matriarch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Din Mother. Uh, Jimmy Smiths plays Kevin Rosario, who is Nina's father. Mm-hmm. And there's a side story about how she doesn't want to go back to school and he she doesn't think they can afford it. And he is thinking of selling his business so that they can afford it. There's a young kid, Sonny, who's a dreamer, mm-hmm. um, who works at Usnavi's store. I mean, uh, again, there's a whole a whole neighborhood of characters of, uh, whose lives interweave yes. in such a way. Uh, and it all kind of happens sort of on the eve of this citywide blackout that lasts for a few days. Yeah. That's uh, like sort of the intermission of the, the yeah. show. And this is based on a Broadway musical, we should say. Yeah. Uh, Written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And uh, the screenplay was adapted by, oh, I'm I'm going to try this, but I'm probably going to fuck it up. Chiara Allegra Hudes. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, and they co-wrote the movie together, uh, and as well. it was directed by John M. Chu, mm-hmm. um, who we recently watched. Uh, you know, probably everybody saw Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. Who's very known for very poppy, very flashy visuals. Um, yeah, and I think you know, I think that the, his sensibility lends itself very well to a movie musical. Yes, it does. Uh, he comes from, I remember him specifically coming from the step up movies. Um, that's right. He did step up yeah. to the streets and step up 3d. Um, and, uh, if anyone has like seen any of the step up films, those movies came out when I was working at a video store. So I, it was great background noise movies. And, you know, they're 100% visual. 
And the first one with Channing Tatum was more kind of this, you know, dance drama about a couple and a guy who lives on the wrong side of the tracks. And it's it's its own kind of thing. When John M. Chu entered the picture and decided, no, we're just going to make this entirely eye candy. Like the, the point of these movies are big dance numbers, big set pieces, you know, insane visuals. And let's just uh, throw reality out the window and and, and mm. just have fun with the cinematics of what you can do in this genre. And, you know, I, I got teased a little bit for saying I think there's something to this guy. I'm not saying that the step up movies are like great films, you know, but he's really good at directing them. And he's really good at like understanding the pop sensibility of something like a musical because those movies are pretty yeah, much I mean, designed like musicals. He also came in and like revitalized uh, G.I. Joe with the G.I. Joe retaliation. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know about was... revitalized might be a little strong. Um, we haven't seen I a mean, sequel since. Snake Eyes movie now. Uh, um, um, but he did, you know, he got in there and got the job done. And, and I, it was a much... It was a much more fun than the first movie. Yeah. Uh, it was, again, very poppy, very... Like, it's it's dumb, but it's dumb fun. And I was expecting a little bit more from his Gem and the Holograms. But anyway, it's a Crazy Rich Asians, I think, really kind of proved to me, like, you know, I was right. He the, the, he yeah. was more than just a assignment, work-for-hire kind of director that you can really that he has sort of an autorial eye and he and given the right material he can really make something pop and i think yeah, I think yeah. that's what and he does just because it's bold and bright and colorful doesn't mean and and poppy just because it's that doesn't mean it's not uh, artistically direct right and there's a way to do dynamic visuals in a way that's visually comprehensible for one and yeah. is and also a way that has the beats and the rhythm of the music of the film. And I think that that's something that he inherently understands, you know, and of course give some credit to his editors and his cinematographers and stuff as well. Uh, well yeah. But it's all kind of working in tandem with his sensibility. And I think that that really comes strong within the Heights. I think that, you know, the combination of Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda's music and John M. Chu's visual style, because I'd never seen the musical or even knew that it was one until recently, but I knew somebody mm -hmm. who was. So I texted her while I was watching that. And I said, you know, have you seen this? Because she would fly to New York to see musicals. Like she's that into it. Um, mm -hmm. And was very excited about this movie coming out. Uh, and she said she did not see the musical live, but she has seen like bootleg videos of it. Um, <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I'm interested to know there's there's a lot of location changes in the movie and there's a lot of mm. you know these big these big numbers that are moving up and down the streets and into swimming pools and everywhere else i'm like is this something they could reproduce on stage or is this all the director and she said that it was very much uh John M Chu opening it up that doesn't surprise me because you have not, I, I know we just talked about this. You have not seen the the Hamilton musical. No, I have you? not. I haven't seen in the Heights the stage yeah. show. Um, I've only, I saw Hamilton once live, and then I saw the movie mm -hmm. version of it. Um, it was the touring 
the touring cast came to San Diego and they do a lot with the imagination of theater, Mm -hmm. like stools will become cannons. Uh, uh, you, you know, the sets change just by moving some boxes around kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, kind of a minimalist approach with, with big music and big, you know, musical numbers and big characters represented through very poppy, Mm -hmm. you know, hip hop inspired, uh, uh, music. Right. So, and there's ways that you can do location changes on stage now that are pretty inventive depending on your budget. You know, you can do roll-ins. And you can do rear projection, and you can do all sure, sorts yeah. of things to create these location changes. But I just wondered if that's what the production was like, or if it's much more stripped down. Again, I think if it's anything similar to Hamilton, the the set design for Hamilton is pretty sparse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that does change around, um, but it's pretty much you know just a empty stage with kind of these rafters going around mm-hmm. it. And then, yeah, again, a lot of stuff is interpreted through dance and through the music. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that is where Lin-Manuel Miranda's strength as a writer comes from, is his ability to tell story through music. Yes. Um, uh, Hamilton is almost entirely music. There's almost, like, no speaking, like, just soul speaking. There, There's a little bit in this... Um, but even then, it's not much. It's mostly, it's mostly told story music, told yeah. through And even conversation music. breaks into song and out, in and yeah. out of song. So people will begin a conversation and then all of a sudden a rhyme scheme pops up and you hear a little beat in the background start to back it up and it becomes a full-blown musical. And it becomes yeah. bigger and bigger. Yeah, and, and a, a Hamilton is very similar. So I, I went into this movie being fairly familiar with John M. Chu only being familiar with Lin-Manuel Miranda based off of sort of his movie scores and Hamilton. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised he also did, how uh, much... Moana. He did all the music for Moana. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I mean, like, when I say, like, um, his movies, his movie yeah. stuff. Uh, whereas, like, Moana has a very different sound. Yeah. Uh, this has a very similar sound to Hamilton. Mm. Like, it's very easy for me to see how the progression from, like, Into the Heights, or In the Heights to Hamilton because musically they're doing very similar things. They're kind of mixing in hip hop um, with, with classic Broadway and yeah. I, I mean, obviously sort of the big difference is Hamilton is uh, centered around actual historical figures. Right. Um, whereas this is for all we know, these characters are invented. They might be based off of some real people, but it's, it's more archetypal, right? It's talking about, Sort of the situation, mid-2000s, New York City, the immigrant experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But th- so let's talk about In the Heights itself as a, as sure. a movie and a musical. Yeah. I'd li- I, I, I enjoyed watching it. It's, it's kind of long. It's, two, it's a, a getting close to two and a half hours. And I'm not going to say I didn't feel it. I felt like there's maybe a few numbers they could have cut just to... Uh, move things along a little faster, but I, uh, I enjoy the characters. Um, I enjoy the music for the most part. Uh, some of it's a little samey, samey, but, and I start, it, they, and I think it's maybe sort of conceptually the songs sort of bleed together mm-hmm. when the music, when the songs do distinguish themselves in a particular way, they stand out to me more. Um, mm. 
but I, you know, the, a lot of the choreography, like I said, and a lot of the like visual uh, dynamics of it, I enjoy a lot, uh, uh, as well as the musical dynamics of it. And I enjoy the character well, stuff I- enough to become invested in, the, you know, all these yeah. like plot okay. strands. My my main issue with it as a production mm-hmm. is once we are introduced to the characters and what their dilemmas are and you know they're all kind of coming to this a lot of these characters are sort of coming to a fork in the road where they have to make a a decision in life you know while there's this sort of contextual stuff happening uh in the background of about the city about gentrification about immigration policy etc i feel like all of those stories just kind of neatly tie up uh and there's not a lot of dramatic stakes that really occur there's there's one character who dies i'll say that i'm not going to say which one but there's Mm -hmm. a character in the film who dies and that's about the most risks that the the production takes and given the context of this death it's not even particularly hard to see coming or or uh uh that risky in this type of story And I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of everyone just sort of gets their happy ending or a version of it. And by the time it was all over, I had fun and I'm dancing in my seat and the songs are in my head and all of that stuff. But I feel like there's a lot more, you know, visual dynamics, musical dynamics. And I wish that the storytelling was as dynamic as as that, because I think if you just like write if you're just to write down the the character arc of every character in the film, I'm kind of like, where's the beef? I think that's I think you kind of nailed why Hamilton blew up and in the Heights didn't. Okay. Uh because And I don't know anything I, I, about the success or non success of of this as a as a stage production. I think it did well. Yeah. I mean it, it obviously made a name for Lin Manuel Miranda, but I agree with you. I think story wise there's not a lot of dramatic tension. There's not a lot of stuff happening. Right. Um, you know, most of the story is is sort of these characters' internal struggles. Yeah. And most of that kind of can be boiled down to, like, you know, it's almost a coming-of-age movie as far as that goes. Like, it, it, most of it is just sort of them having to learn to move on to the next stage of right. life. But like you said kind of wraps up a little too neatly and so and there's so many uh, characters that they're unable to be anything other than archetypes so unlike a normal coming of age movie where you might be focusing on one or maybe three or four characters um Mm. you can't really dig into the nuances of these characters in the way that you can you know i mean the whole thing is sort of big and brassy and and um surfacey so it doesn't it doesn't let you into that internal drama as much as i feel like would would elevate this above purely entertainment yeah i i kind of agree with you uh i mean i think this criticism is definitely valid um but i also think this movie is a hell of a lot mm. of fun um i i do agree that you know it maybe feels a little long it seems like they probably adapted it pretty closely mm. 
to the stage show and and didn't cut any numbers. You know, whereas a stage show, I think, can kind of pull off that length a little bit more. Because you get an intermission, you know, it, and, and there's different expectations for audience, audience expectations for theater than there is for film. Exactly. And in a, in a movie, you know, after a while, it does start to be like, Okay, I'm I'm kind of ready. I'm I'm ready for you know I'm enjoying this, but we can wrap it up. Um, I I think that was probably yeah kind of my biggest criticism. But the movie that we get, the story that we get, is so fun, and the music is so catchy, and uh, the visuals are so like you said uh, uh, about John M. Chu sort of opening this up. Um, I'm glad he did because the set pieces that we get are incredible. Yeah. The pool um, scene in particular know, like this, is like straight out of a step up movie. The, the which pool scene? scene, the pool dancing. Oh, it, well, it's like, sure, uh, uh, out of a step up movie, but it's also like it has these visuals that kind of harken back to this like old school MGM, mm-hmm. like choreographed swimming number. Right, right. Um, so there's, there's some really fun marrying of visuals there, of sort of like this, there's a really fun urban hip hop. uh, There's a really fun dance number towards the end where we do like the Fred Astaire dancing on the side of the building kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot of marrying this sort of more modern musical to old school Mm -hmm. cinema musical visuals, which I thought was really cool and really like refreshing. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know. You've mentioned some movie musicals that are sort of less successful, like Les Mis and uh, uh, Mamma Mia and stuff. So, you know, it. I think it's safe to say that not everyone can direct a musical and make it feel like you're a part of it, like it is a stage show, but also have it be a movie. Like, I think directing a mu- movie musical is probably one of the hardest things a director can do. Right. And I think what we've seen in like the last 20 plus years, um, and I know that um, um, Lindsay Ellis has talked about this a lot in her video essays, but I think we, what we've seen a lot in the last like 20 or so years is that everyone sort of approaching the movie musical from this, from this, we got to reinvent the wheel kind of thing. Like in the case of Les Mis, he had all live singing, which was definitely a mistake. And in the case of, you know, something like like Moulin Rouge, it's very uh, uh, surreal and there's a lot of like um, special effect moments and that kind of stuff. And then also Mm -hmm. accompanying contemporary music and that kind of thing. And this movie, I think, splits the difference a little bit between those those two kind of ideas. I think it is it allows for like surreal moments like the the Fred Astaire dancing on the side of the walls kind of thing. It allows for mm-hmm. big um, uh, cinematic set pieces, but it also does harken back to something like, you know, the, the street scenes from West Side Story and and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think um, I, I think the movie that that this reminded me the most of in recent memory was La La Land. Sure. Like, yeah. I think uh, uh, that movie also was doing similar things of like, we're just going to try to make this the most musical musical this can yeah, be. We're not going to shy away from and, the genre. Yeah, yeah. And I think for my money, I tend to prefer that approach because it's, it's leaning into the surrealism, mm-hmm. but not, but not trying so much to like, 
make that the feature? Mm-hmm. The way I kind of looked at it, my immediate reaction was like, this is sort of rent meets do the right thing, right? I think that's a fair... Like, it's, it's, a, it's a contemporary story about the youth that live in a certain part of the city in the same way that Rent was in the early 90s. And it, Rent was dealing with its political issues of its time with the AIDS epidemic. And this is dealing more with DACA and the Dreamers and and the immigrant yeah, story. Im- immigration yeah. issues. Um, you know, it's also from, uh, you know, the perspective of people of color, uh, right. which not a lot of musicals do yeah. that. And I think, you know, that's that's another thing that makes the music so appealing is it has this hip hop sensibility to it. It has this it feels a, a lot more contemporary than mm-hmm. some music. But also traditional. It's, like it, it kind of marries yeah. the two in the same way that John M. Chu tries to do so visually. And I think that's why the two work together really well. Um Yeah. Yeah, but I, I again, I kind of go back to my original where's the beef complaint, because unlike Rent and unlike Rent as a musical and mm-hmm. and Do the Right Thing as a film, I feel like both of those movies come to a point where it actually has to deal with the subject at hand and, and it has yeah. to actually go there. And this movie, I feel we it, it brushes up against those topics, but it doesn't ever... We never see it, it these never characters ever be... really come into the consequences of those topics. Yeah, I, I I agree. It feels like it feels like the movie pulls or, or the musical. I mean, the story pulls back a little because it never wants to be like a bummer, right? And I and like, I kind of get it, that. It, I'm not saying it even necessarily has to be that, but um, it invokes a sort of seriousness that I don't think is their content wise. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's a, a fair. I mean, the most we um, get, I, I think I, is with, with the young immigrant kid um, who is uh, undocumented. And I feel like that is probably, that's probably the, the strongest character arc that we get in the film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but you know, yeah. I mean, that story isn't as, tightly right there's still there's still little kind Um, of questions but but it is you know as far as his situation he's he's got a better better shot than a lot of people it kind of reminded me like you know the the last two or so numbers of this film when everyone's like telling about how the situation did or did not change for them it kind of reminds me the end Mm -hmm. of greece when uh rizzo uh, just comes back into the story out of nowhere and is like, what's the deal with your pregnancy? And she's like, I'm not pregnant. Yay, let's go on the Ferris wheel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, it's like, it's just going up to the line of this dramatic material, yeah. but pulling back so that the audience is always having a good right. time. Yeah, um, yeah it, and, you know, I think, for my money, again, I've kind of compared this whole thing to Hamilton, which is a little unfair um, because again, I saw that live. Now, did in this? Is I didn't movie. know this. So, did was in the Heights first as a as a stage production? Yeah, between the two. Okay. Yeah, I think that was Lin Manuel's like big. This was his like big breakout 
thing, mm-hmm. and this set him up to be able to do Hamilton. Right, which would explain why that was like an immediate success. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He already, you know, he had some heat mm-hmm. um, based off of In the Heights. And he's also been an actor and a character actor for a long time. He's in TV since like the Well, I mean, a lot of that, I think, came from this. I think okay. they came from the success of, you know, his run on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because Hamilton made Lin-Manuel Miranda a bona fide celebrity. And after that, he would sort of like got, uh, you know, movie and TV deals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you check his IMDb, it goes back pretty far. Oh, I mean, right. it, it's an, it, it's not just since Hamilton. It's um, oh, it's just like that. this little character there, that little, you know, sure, yeah, struggling yeah. actor stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, uh, that and, in, and that's interesting to me because... Um, can you get an, an exact date on the uh, the the beginning of the uh, Broadway musical? Uh, for In the Heights? Yeah. Because it feels pretty contemporary um, as far as like some of the, you know, the stuff that was in the air during the Trump era and that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think that also goes to say, you know, like this has been in, you know, Trump definitely made the the larger populace a lot more aware of some of these issues like sure uh because it he was so such a bold-faced cartoon villain about it uh, uh right. that you know i i think it you know the bubble is a real thing the liberal bubble um so it looks like the original run was in 2007 wow okay yeah yeah so i mean ice uh you know the uh governmental police deportation police was mm was uh, set up through the Bush administration, expanded during the Obama administration, and then expanded yet again through the Trump administration. So, yes, these have been issues, especially for people of color um, and and second-generation immigrants for much longer than just the last four or five years. Yeah, um, exactly. It's it's to the movie's credit and to Lin-Manuel Miranda's credit – the story doesn't feel dated in that way. It doesn't feel like this is a 2007 story. No, yeah, not at all. Although there's not a there's not a ton of like uh, iPhones and stuff in the movie. I, and now that I'm thinking about, it, I don't know if that was like a choice, well, but I mean, I think that's just because that would be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I there there is like. The, when they're like coming out of the club and like during the blackout, like you know, people are trying to kind of get all. Well, I guess, yeah, they're not really. Yeah, like I mean, somebody just in like casual like background, like you know, like your extras and stuff. You don't see a ton of people like scrolling or whatever. I mean, I you know, there's yeah. not a lot of dramatic tension in us staring at yeah. our phones either. You do get a you do get a big musical number by Lin Manuel Miranda. Talking about his competition as a shaved ice salesman with the uh, ice cream truck—that was fun. Yeah, that was a little plot. like I don't know plot <laughs> that <laughs> never really goes anywhere, but it was a fun little number. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, it was a uh, and a fun you know cameo and, sure. and stuff. His thing for my money, mm-hmm. Hamilton is a much it's it's a much more well rounded story. Mm-hmm. It's a much you know, much more dramatic production. I think the music is a slightly more evolved version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little, little catchier. Well, like you know, I like I couldn't sing any of these songs, um, but there's a lot of Hamilton songs that like 
will just be in your head for days after you first hear it. As far as a show goes, yeah, I, I think that criticism is kind of, you know, Hamilton sort of goes the other way and, and has a lot of uh, dramatic tension. And yeah. I would love to see fucking John M. Chu's take on it. Sure. Because um, I think this pairing is is very good of, of you know, Lin-Manuel's music and story and, his, and John M. Chu's visual aesthetics uh, work really well together. Yeah, certainly for this production. I can't speak for Hamilton because I've never watched it. I know some of the music from it, but but yeah, I overall I give the movie a B. If just if we've gotten a, just a little bit more dramatic tension and a little bit more um, thematic traction towards the middle of the second act or towards the end of the second act into the third act, um, and it, it kind of went some directions I maybe wasn't expecting a little bit more. We could have bumped that up to an A, um, but otherwise, I uh, I I do I did enjoy it. I think people who like musicals should go see it because it's a good one. Does it convert the non-musical fan? I'm not so sure, certain, but I'm like in the middle as far as that goes. So I don't know. I think a lot of people really like Lin Manuel's music because it doesn't. Sure. It doesn't. It's a little subversive. It doesn't feel musically um because it's some of it does some it, of it does yes and he's mixing I, it he's having fun like you know like there in particular there's the uh, the main character guy who owns a bodega and his the girl he's pursuing she's doing big broadway musical belting and he's yeah. doing this kind of rhythmic singing slash rapping and he'll kind of blend those in in together but I but I think that is why people tend to like his his musical style, because, mm-hmm. you know, it 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 kind of takes the best from both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some people who think, you know, who have an idea of what a musical is, you know, like a 60s Rogers and Hammerstein thing. And like yeah. they saw it when they were a kid. And so that's all they kind of know of musicals might see something like this and be like, whoa, damn, you know, the, mm-hmm. there's more there than I than I thought. Okay. So what are you giving it? I'm kind of torn. I think as just like an experience, probably an A minus, but a story is probably more like a B plus. Um, okay. It's kind of in that territory, but I had a really good time watching it. So, and did you see it in the theater or at home? I saw it at home. I watched it at home. Um, okay. But, you know, it was like the lights down and big TV, you know. Oh, you did it up. Yeah, yeah. You didn't just watch it on your phone. No. Okay. Not this one. <laughs> not this one, no. Okay. Um, I, I think it would have been a lot of fun to see in a theater. Um, yeah, and I've heard, you know, people say that, the you know, like we were talking about, people are so hungry for entertainment right now and, and the group experience that people are like, like dancing out of the aisles and that kind of stuff. So that's cool. Yeah. I could, I, that's sort of a surreal musical moment in and of itself that I think could be <laughs> a lot of fun. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, again, I think as an experience, I don't know. It's also just been a while since there's been a musical that I've really liked. Yeah. I mean, La La Land um, wasn't too, too long ago. And I feel like, I feel like there's been some, well, it's not a musical, and there's way less music in it than there is in this film. But both thematically and um, sort of stylistically, there was that film 
Blind Spotting, which is now a TV show, apparently. Um, oh, I didn't even, see, uh, but I haven't seen that. You that had that these one, weird right? kind of fourth wall breaking, almost rap musical moments, but it like mm. it's it's much more a subtle kind of integration than this film, which is really going for it. Um, mm. But uh, but that also deals with gentrification and and uh, you know urban woes. But yeah, I uh, uh, I say go see this movie. It's good. Yeah. Alrighty, let's go ahead and talk about the 1984 film Streets of Fire. Uh, this was uh, written and directed by Walter Hill um, and also co-written by Larry Gross. And Walter Hill, uh, previous to this, had done 48 Hours and The Warriors, The Long Riders, and he was also a, a big producer on the Alien films. This is a sort of rock and roll musical. I think at the the, the opening credits it calls it a rock and roll fable, uh, and, a rock and roll fairy tale. Yeah, and we have a a man named Tom Cody who rolls into town. Uh, you know, sort of a silent badass stereotype, like eighties action movie stereotype, um, who finds out that his rock and roll girlfriend, um, played by Diane Lane, Ellen has been kidnapped by this uh, gangster in a 50s pompadour and a leather jacket played by Willem Dafoe, a very young Willem Dafoe. He and his girlfriend's music manager, played by Rick Moranis, and a, uh, a go-getter badass chick, played by Amy Madigan named McCoy, have to go on an adventure to rescue the girlfriend and that also leads to a battle against these, uh, you know, the police and this, this like fifties biker gang. And yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of musical sequences in this film as well. These kind of rock, uh, rock club moments where the music is sort of integrated into into the the beats of the editing. Um, and um, you know, the movie breaks for music. Quite, quite often. It's not a musical necessarily in the sense that the the characters will stare at the camera and break the fourth wall and start singing about the actual events of the film, but I feel like the way that it is integrated is very much kind of in the tradition of that, that sort of like alternative rock and roll musical that we were getting in the 70s and 80s. It reminds me a, a decent amount of something like like Phantom of the Paradise or or even Rocky Horror, um, and I could see like if you were into those that kind of style of like campy see, contemporary I, okay. musicals, um, and if you were a fan of stuff like The Warriors, because there's a decent amount of that in this as well, um, that uh, you might be able to find your way into this story. But well, okay, a couple things to that. First of all. I feel like the music isn't exactly frequent enough and it doesn't really operate in any sort of storytelling sense. So for me, a musical like, mm -hmm. you know, the music helps propel the story. In this case, it just kind of felt like a soundtrack that was being played live during the whole thing. I also kind of wish it was better. Uh, I wasn't super into most of the music. A lot of it was kind of uh, generic to me. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, some, I mean, I think oh, there was one song that actually became 
uh, radio hit. I can't remember which one it was now, but there was one song where I was like, oh, I know this. There was the the music I liked the most was the Sorels, which is this um, black uh, acapella right. band. Yeah, and that they encounter right, and they they kind of sing, um, and that those scenes are actually I would say uh, less diegetic than or more diegetic rather than some of just like the concert sequences we see as we're going yeah. through these action scenes. So I. And maybe this is a, a thing of expectations, because I'd never heard of this movie until mm-hmm. you assigned it. And then, you know, I heard it was like a rock and roll fable, and and I, I kind of figured it was going to be a little bit more of a musical than mm-hmm. it is. Um, and so I was kind of disappointed that, that the music wasn't integrated, I think, a little bit more. And I think it could have been a little more clever as well. Um now, there are some interesting, you know, like, like there's this weird scene when we see the biker gangs like head- headquarters, um, where there's this like woman stripping to this rockabilly thing that does not lend itself to dance very well, uh, <laughs> right. and I think that kind of sums up this whole movie for me, <laughs> uh, like, it, this movie's batshit insane, yeah, but has some fun moments and you know is also like a who's who of of weird little what they're in this movie like Mm -hmm. fucking rick moranis and and i i of course knew willem dafoe was in it he plays the big bad um but like bill paxton has a fun little cameo sure yeah uh uh, ed bigley jr has a weird (laughs) cameo um yeah leaving from uh from Clue, um, yeah, slash uh, the lead singer of the punk rock band Fear. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So this movie is okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it's very of its time. Sure, you know, a lot of the sort of '80s action stuff I think was done better in sort of a lot of other '80s action movies. Mm-hmm. And again, the music I think was not particularly inspired. It sort of felt like it was written by people who were trying to write rock music. Like, right. It's that one step to remove thing where it's, it's, it's rock music written by people who actually don't listen to rock music. Yeah. But they, they, you know, they think they know what the, what the kids want to hear. They find like some like studio composer or something like that to, to do their approximation of, of contemporary rock music. Yeah. Um, uh, also, you know, sort of the sexual politics of between, uh, Tom Cody and his ex-girlfriend, Ellen aim, uh, did not age well. It's 1984. Um, I mean, it's also the entire premise is basically just a, um, damsel in distress distress. kind of thing. But I mean, that goes along with the, the fable quality of it. Sure, I'm talking specifically about when he fucking knocks her out on the train. He straight up punches her in the face and knocks her out cold. I'm like, oh, that's not necessarily the most heroic thing to do, Tom Cody. Right. Honestly, he is way worse to her than anything other than the actual physical act of kidnapping her. Raven 
uh, the villain played by Willem Dafoe, mm. his plan doesn't really make sense. His plan is just sort of like, I'm going to kidnap you and you're going to, he literally says, you're just going to hang out here for a few days and then I'll take you back. I'm like, okay, so what are we doing here? Like, I think like, there's an expectation for maybe a reward or something like that. That's why, that's why the, uh, Rick Moranis ends up getting involved and. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it just. That part isn't exactly spelled out super clearly. No. Um, and th- I think that's, I think you're getting to the heart of like why I like the movie, but I don't think it's a good movie. Um, yeah. I yeah, enjoyed watching it though. But oh, yeah. I mean, I had a blast watching it because <laughs> it is insane. It is, this movie is bonkers. There's yeah. kind of no rhyme or reason for a lot of stuff, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, think it, yeah. it's kind of just giving you sort of the basics as, as far as like, okay, well, we have this character. Again, this is, you know, working on archetypes, but these are yeah. like even more reduced archetypes. Oh, yeah. This is, <laughs> these are straight up like, we have a hero. Yeah. This and is we like, have a villain. this is like the, you know, save the cat kind of screenplay advice sort of archetypes that you learn in like screenwriting 101 type stuff. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> And and you know, it's sort of end of the third reel, the, you're inciting incident and blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it sort of feels like they're writing these characters sparse intentionally because they think sort of the whole vibe and the music is going to make up for that. Yeah, the aesthetic. The movie is there more for the aesthetic and for the conceptual quality of it rather than than the storiness of it. I think it's it's having fun in style a little bit. There's a little bit yeah. of like film noir. And I think the movie actually looks pretty good, even though there's some city stuff. You could definitely tell it's just like inside a uh, a big sound studio. I think you could kind of tell, like it felt like kind of the whole thing was, but yeah. I, I think that gave it a kind of charm. Right. It, um, it, in, in some ways it kind of like reminds me from a visual standpoint, sort of where like Tim Burton and, and the Dick Tracy movie, uh, like specifically Batman, I should say in the, in the Dick Tracy movie. And some of those, those films from that era might've like looked at this as a blueprint for kind of what they could do visually. Kind of a goth noir quality. Yeah. And and like Um, doing, doing mixing contemporary with, like uh classic hollywood stuff and film noir yeah. and 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 sort of seeing what, like aesthetically what you can create and i think the movie's way more interested in its aesthetics than it is well anything and, else. and i think the movie is way more interesting with its aesthetics like yeah uh some of the costumes in this like willem dafoe's fucking wardrobe oh my god <laughs> like yes Give me that all day long. Like, yeah. you know, and he's having fun in the movie and definitely knows he's playing up to it. I, yeah. And on, and like the opening sequence is really cool and really mm-hmm. well shot. Um, although the credits take for fucking ever to get through, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Um, but there's a pretty cool opening mm-hmm. sequence. Uh, honestly, I think my biggest problem with this movie as just a piece of entertainment is uh, Michael Paré as Tom Cody is dirt dry. He is, he is burnt toast. Like he, there is not 
really anything going on there except a pretty face. Yeah. Uh, he's not a particularly interesting character. He's not dressed particularly well. <laughs> um, uh, he's just he has a gun of... and a trench coat, and that's his character. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but I feel like the rest of the movie is sort of idiosyncratic and and weird and have and just generally more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Like you know, Rick Moranis playing the sleazy stage manager boyfriend Billy Fish. Yeah. Um. And you know, the whole movie you're just kind of like, God, why is she with this fucking douchebag but also he's kind of the only one trying to really save her yeah um and amy madigan as mccoy has all the best one-liners she's like, honestly she's the she's best the, character in the movie she's she's she the fucking it. hero yeah and like, i think she she actually it's a really interesting performance because all these characters are written so thinly you know she's not even the main character she's supporting but she f- somehow feels real in this totally yeah. not real world and and yeah, brings she's, a sincerity she's like to the this? sidekick but she's definitely the most relatable she feels like yeah this kind of you know like roughneck uh almost like a construction worker like very blue collary kind of you know drifter yeah looking for freelance work or whatever and she yeah. gets sucked into this i think it's fair to say i don't know i don't know I haven't read a ton about this movie, but I think it's fair to say she's she's coded lesbian. Uh, I mean, yeah. there's like there's uh, a lot I, of I dialogue mean, that seems to suggest that the yeah, whole I, you're I, not I my even, type thing and yeah, yeah. There, there's it seems she's pretty, sort of purposely um, desexualized, especially compared to the Diane Lane character. I I interpreted it that way as well. I don't yeah. think that is just a coincidence. I don't think it's a reach. Um, no. No, um, no, but not she's at all. fantastic in the fucking film, and I think all as dry as the 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 main character is, she's picking up most of the slack. Absolutely, it, to the point where I wish she was just the main character of the film because mm-hmm. I feel like she's sort of operating on the same level as Willem Dafoe and Rick Moranis, and like like that's where the movie is. Well, in the in the twenty twenty one version of this movie, if someone were to remake it or you do a stage production version of it or something, you just roll those two characters together and not code her lesbian, just make her a lesbian and make her relationship with Ellen. Um, you know, uh, yeah, that'd be a better movie. Yeah, <laughs> like she. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't I know. think that that is the fix for as far as that goes. Um, but. I mean, I it's I don't think this is like I said, I don't think this is like a great film, but I, I do sort of enjoy the kitsch of it. Oh, yeah. And I enjoy sort of the the idiosyncrasies and the production. And, and I, I like the music enough. It wasn't like the best, but I it got me through the film. And well, and, and it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't yeah. grating. It wasn't like it definitely um, kind uh, of feels padded out. Like there's there's not a ton that happens in the movie. Like you could do mm-hmm. this whole movie if you're just going by the plot points. You could do the movie in like seven minutes. But um, a lot <laughs> yeah. of this is just kind of like scenes to sort of pad it out. Um, but I think as a B movie, this is this is like quality cheese. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, again, something uh, like the uh, Warriors, I think feels a little bit more like a diamond in the rough. Like there's actually more there to kind of dig your teeth into. I've never um, actually seen it, so I I can't really compare. You should. 
It is yeah. sort of in this world too. I think it's. I think the Warriors is better at doing that. Um, I again, I didn't mind this world at all. Like, yeah. uh, it, this was definitely like a uh, me and and uh, my wife Ashley were sitting down and we like couldn't decide anything to watch. And I didn't. I thought I was going to watch this one on my own. Mm-hmm. I didn't think she would have any interest in it. <laughs> um, and she she put it on. She's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "I kind of don't know." <laughs> and we were like, just having a blast. Like yeah. it is like, what the fuck is this movie? Right. Um. Uh. But yeah. It, it, uh. And again, it 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 definitely has its moments yeah. too. Like, and I think even um, for all of its shortcomings, it's not for ineptitude because I think that Walter Hill knows how to make good movies and he's and i think that his choices are intentional i just think that um when it all when it's all said and done the end product feels kind of light and fluffy and there's not much to it i think it maybe feels a little marketed yeah you know like like what are the kids into kind of thing sure but Um, i think in a way that was part of his aesthetic because that was kind of like what the warriors was was like i want to do a gangster film or like a gang street film but sure. in this hyper stylized movie version of it that's in my head that's not at all like reality where you have like you know gangs that are dressed up like baseball players with with domino makeup yeah, you yeah. Know? like i mean that's kind of what this movie's doing too so he kind of like he, he enjoys the moviness of whatever it is he's working on um but something like 48 hours or something like the driver um is kind of more set and more in a naturalistic setting. So I mm-hmm. um, I think he is capable of of doing that. And like I said, he's very instrumental in the, the Aliens franchise. So I, I think a lot of people might see this and be like, oh my God, this movie is like so bad it's good. But I actually think that a lot of these choices are intentional. Okay. I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is just an odd little weird movie that I think has kind of been forgotten by time um and if you know the things we're describing sound like stuff you're into i think you'll enjoy this movie Mm -hmm. like it is a fun watch but it is definitely not for everyone no i think you have to have a you have to have an appetite for camp and cheese and you have to sort of like cult movies um But if you if you are, if that's kind of your thing, if you like get a thrill out of something like Rocky Horror or something like, you know, um, Phantom of the Paradise, if you'd happen to see it or The Apple or, you know, any of these bizarre movies from this time, you might you might have fun with this one and, and definitely check it out. Or are you just like a fan of like 80s anything like this yeah. is this is definitely well, uh, you know, this is the type of thing that would be playing, you know, projected on the wall of a barcade. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think. That is kind of where this movie should live. Yeah. is like, that is exactly what, or, you know, like a midnight yeah. rooftops rowdy screening or whatever. Yeah, this is like, definitely the type of thing you would go see at a double feature at the New Beverly. This is yeah. like their bread and butter, like that type of movie fan, which I'm very much of. Um, and I, I don't know if this is, I, I knew a person who wrote a paper on this movie and I don't know that all is- the details. Of yeah. of uh, that paper, but I want to say this was the inspiration for the video game series Streets of Rage. You I can mean, fact check me on that, but I want to I want to say that was the 
the thesis of that paper. I could see that, but <laughs> I, I don't know. There's a, I don't know. I feel like it would not surprise me to find out that was true, but I feel like Streets of Rage is kind of taking a lot of. It's its own thing, but I think like vibe. some of the characters and some of those situations and the gang members and stuff are based on this movie. But I, I could be wrong about that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's a, it's fun. What did you have for us next episode? So you admitted on Twitter recently that you have never seen The Princess Bride. And I was shook by that. Yeah. Because that is like a childhood staple of everyone. And, and also in general, we got, you got into this conversation of like movies that adults can't appreciate, like if you didn't see it as a child, mm-hmm. you might not appreciate it. And some other movies that came up were like Hook. Goonies. And, um, Goonies. Yeah. Uh, Teenage yeah, Mutant Ninja so, Turtles. Yeah. So I feel like you should have seen Princess Bride by now. It's it's a crime. Mm-hmm. It, it was just one of those cost- things. I just like, it, it wasn't like I was trying to avoid it. It sure. just, you know, uh, we were talking about something earlier that you had never seen. That I said it was always on the Disney show. Oh, Newsies. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of one of those things. It just never came across my my eyeballs for whatever reason. And I always kind of meant to see it. And I think for me, it was like, at a point, I was like, well, if I'm going to see it, I'll just wait till it's projected somewhere and I'll go see it that way because I'll get the most out of well, it. Well, no longer, sir. We are rectifying this. Mm-hmm. You're going to see it uh, next for our next episode. Uh, I'm very curious to see if this is a, a an adult's can appreciate movie. I think mm. this might be next to Casablanca as one of the most quoted movies of all time. Yeah, um, I mean, I know a lot of the like cultural context that comes from it. Yeah, um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, there was even a thing where, you know, over the pandemic, a bunch of celebrities filmed it mm-hmm. uh, on their iPhones, like scene for scene. Yeah. Um, and like a different celebrity would do a different scene. Um, and, and this was like fun. in the middle of Rob Reiner's like hot streak, like yeah. when he just could not make a bad movie. Um, it is a cultural touchstone for sure. So I'm very interested to see, you know, what your adult 2021 eyes do with The Princess Bride. We'll get to it. And if anybody. It's also fun to <laughs> assign you a movie for once that I have seen and you have not. Ha <laughs> ha. If anybody has anything to say about that or any of the topics that came up in this episode, um, you can drop us a line over at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Also follow us on all of our social media, um, both Instagram and Twitter at mcguffinpod. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. You can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at vccassidy. Um, and you can also... Uh, read my reviews that I do every now and then for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. That'll take you directly to their movies page where you can see the archives. Be sure to check out the MacGuffin's webpage, MacGuff.in. That is also where the web, uh, podcast archives are, but those are also where the written reviews for a lot of the films we talk about are being discussed by the other staff members of the MacGuffin. Um, hopefully at some point we can get Alan or Spencer, one of them on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what's your stuff, Keith? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster kid. You can also follow my art account at sticky note aesthetic. Okay. And, uh, be sure to, uh, 
follow Keith's social medias for a um, possible live appearance in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I'll it, for sure. Uh, once I get back into it, I'll definitely you know announce it on all the socials. Um, that's the end of the episode. You know, some of you guys got some cute little asses. Be a real shame if I had to blow them off. Was that a Moranis quote? No, that was McCoy. Oh, okay. <laughs>